Yo, 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 what's up, guys? Fit Food Radio, of course, it's Matt Whitmore here with the lovely Keris Marsden, as always. How are we doing, Keris? Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. <laughs> uh, guys, as I say, did I say it was episode 43? Did I? Okay, yeah. well, I've just well, said no, it again. Well, I have now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now they know. Not that it matters. It's an episode of Fit Food Radio. Uh, but, guys, hope you're all awesome, having an epic day so far. Cracking podcast today. It's just myself and Kerius. No guests this week. There was a few subjects that we wanted to kind of discuss. A couple of them purely because we've been getting a hell of a lot of questions about them. So we figured why not put it out there on a podcast. Even though we've probably covered it from time to time throughout. But nonetheless, it's good to reiterate, isn't it? I always think it's good to revisit stuff because we're all taking on so much information all the time. I know even this is me as well. I almost need to revisit certain aspects of, you know, my own nutrition and training and also certain concepts and maybe tinker and, and have a little test every now and then. And that's one thing I was going to cover today, that you can get a bit carried away. Well, I think as well, as we always say, don't we, when whenever we go to seminars and lectures ourselves, yeah. sometimes, you know, because you don't ever come away fully absorbing all of the information anyway. That's just insane, you know, and if you do, you've got an epic that you should be <laughs> very, very proud of. But you normally come away with a good percentage of what you've learned but then some of it a good chunk of it is stuff you already knew but it was almost like a little reminder you're like oh, yeah, yeah. yeah i knew that but what you know i haven't been doing it why haven't i been doing it and i think as you said it's uh going back to sort of the fundamentals yeah you just yeah. get it's easy to just get a bit carried away and, a bit, and overwhelm yourself no harm in revisiting as you say or tinkering tinkering as you put it well i've been listening to various different um podcasts over the last few weeks have just got back on to, to to listen to you know what other experts are up to and it is i have to say like we are in a in a really different sort of um world today where you know you've got access to knowledge that and, and information that you wouldn't have had yeah um and i was actually listening to um i really enjoy his podcast um so can i just put it out there because i was kind of in the middle of uh, introdu- introducing the episode and what we were going to talk about oh sorry you just got straight in I've there i got straight in there yeah but that's no messing you waffle i do waffle but you know just to just, just so people know i was going to say we're going to talk a little bit about pre-post-workout nutrition well getting carried away as Kerry <laughs> no, said well i was just going to go in getting there fat, about being fat adapted, fat adapted. what well, else are we going to talk about relationships because it's oh it's valentine's, valentine's weekend yeah we were going to talk a little bit about healthy relationships um most of our content that's going out in our newsletter this week is covering things like libido which we've mentioned before on here and um what you can do nutrition and lifestyle wise yeah um it's all very much based on balancing stress hormones and um eating a really sort of a healthy diet which includes a lot of fat which might surprise yes. some people although didn't we have a revelation this week on the news? Uh, this is in the UK, if you are listening from elsewhere in the world. But in the UK, um, headlines this week were that actually fat is OK for us. And then, that maybe they shouldn't have advised a low-fat diet. Exactly. Do you know what was really painful about watching that? Um, I just saw it on, like, Good Morning TV, watched it on the news. And um, what I really liked was on the news it was presented as perhaps the evidence didn't exist in the first place, which was the case. Um, and anybody that wants to go and look this up uh, will be able to see that there was a lot of um, sort of backhanding that went on yeah. um, to make these guidelines happen um, in terms of, oh, fat is the enemy. And obviously the result of that was lots of uh, low-fat spreads and, and margarines and all sorts of heart-healthy foods that we could switch to. Um, I think it's covered on a, a Rob Wolf podcast. Generally, there was there was some sort of exchange that went on between, I think it was Procter & Gamble and the American Heart Association, 
um, a lot of money suddenly appeared in the bank account and then the next thing you know we're told that um, cholesterol causes heart disease which is just amazing if you think of how the next few decades panned out um, into quite a sorry state generally hasn't it yeah so it was good that they they phrased it on the news that oh the evidence didn't exist because it didn't and if you go back and, and read Ansel Keys was the guy who came up with the heart health hypothesis we are going to cover this in detail on another podcast um, uh, we've got one coming up that's just about um, I don't want to say the grey-haired generation, but older generation, um, what we would call our parents' <laughs> generation, um, heart disease, inflammation and, and cancer. So we're going to go into quite a lot of detail, so I won't cover, it, cover that now. But one thing that really annoyed me about the, the media coverage was some people on their health professionals, I'm going to name him because he annoys me, um, <laughs> Dr. Hillary Jones. He's got a woman's name for a start. <laughs> well, That's I, annoying. I remember watching him when I was about 10 um, so that's how long he's been doing um, Good Morning Britain, um, started to say, oh, let's not get carried away here. You know, um, we're not saying that we should start eating loads of fat. The way that this has panned out is that people have cut fat and increased sugar. And that's why we've had this outcome that we've had, which, yeah, that's definitely one of the outcomes of, of reducing fat intake. Of course, we had to make up for it with some other macronutrient. Um, but he was saying we still need to focus on nuts, seeds, olive oil and oily fish as a source of fats, not saturated fats. So don't go eating lots of butter and bacon. Um, so it still, for me, was a really confused message, um, sort of insinuating that saturated fat is still bad for us, um, which is not the case. And there is no there is no science to back up that saturated fat causes heart disease or yeah. any, any chronic disease. The thing is, as well, with all this... If anything, too many nuts and olive oil, might because <laughs> it's got yeah. more omega-6 in it. Yeah. So, yeah. And there was no clarification of things like the quality of those fats, you know. So fats yeah. from, you know, butter from grass-fed cows and meat. Do, do you not think it's quite hard, though, on, you know, in terms of media from, like, a show like Good Morning Britain, where they have designated time slots for these things, and it's very much like... Let's just stick to the very kind of... I know, but that, let's that's... Let's just not, touch on... It's not a difficult concept to say, perhaps... Uh, one thing that that's possibly gone wrong is is um, the way that we're producing our meat and our yeah. dairy products. <laughs> God, I mean, who doesn't know that that sort of factory farming, intensive farming, yeah. and 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 feeding animals on grains is everyone pretty much knows that's going on now. Um, you know, and you could, I think, there could have been some suggestion that yeah. that is changing the profiles of our food and making them a bit inflammatory, and therefore that is why, why there's associations. They need to get us on the show. <laughs> Everyone, right into Good Morning there. Britain. But do you not think the other issue? You would is... be good because you'd. Sorry, sorry. What I was about to say was you would be good because you'd explain it in in a way that would appeal to people. They, they, they'll cut me off. They're like, sorry, sorry, Matt, sorry, Matt. That's, uh, that's all we've got time for today. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, but, oh, one last thing. One last thing. I'm not done. What they need to do is is not say, Matt, tell us about yourself because you'll go. Well, I was born in uh, 1985. No, and I, I the... do tend to give a lot of details. <laughs> but no, but what I was going to say was um, was that with the only issue with like these kind of things is that you know it's great that I think there is there, there is a change, you know, and it's been going on for a while now. It's a it's, it's building up slowly. The whole kind yeah, of yeah, I should I should be appreciative of that message yeah, being yeah. You yeah. know, it's great that it's getting out there because the, the thing is, the unfortunate thing is, is that's when most people will start to listen. When the likes of Dr. Hillary yeah. are on Good Morning Britain or yeah, the BBC yeah. Breakfast, whatever, that starts getting out to the masses and, and people are kind of more likely to believe that. But my only concern with this is is that, you know, it's probably a good thing that Dr. Hillary said, um, 
you know, let's not get carried away because... And the only reason I say that is because I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you said, no, of no, course. No, you can disagree. Oh, no, never, never. I'll just break up with I you. Got, I agree with everything you said, Chris. What I was going to say was is that people end up then going from one extreme to the other. And it kind of ties in with what we are going to talk about today. Like, you, do, you know, you were saying kind of overwhelming yourself, get carried away with, like, information overload. But I think a lot of people are guilty of this, and I think we have been on, on occasion, is literally going from one one extreme, i.e. maybe quite high carb, yeah. to the other extreme of very low carb, very high fat. Yeah. And I think I'm wrong. Some people can get away with that. But for most, you know, it needs to be a gradual change. Yeah. You know, where, whereas shock. humans aren't the most patient of people. And it's like, oh, well, why do this gradually over a matter of weeks? So I could just do it straight away. Yeah. Just start eating tons of fat, reduce my carb intake. You know, it just will wreak havoc on the body. And Yeah, I think, I think what I would like to see is that this sort of message gets filtered down to um, sort of, I don't know if you call the whole collection of, like, primary care trusts, so that the message has been given in schools, in GP surgeries, in hospitals and things like that that you know stop being told to cut out butter when your cholesterol's high that that sort of thing really frustrates me because that that's not really where we need to go we need to be looking at you know blood sugar management and all sorts of other you know what's yeah. causing this situation in the first place so just a bit more clarity on that would be nice and not sort of vilifying one or two foods and and we know from from having family and and from clients who go and visit a gp they just get told instantly their health issues are a result of these foods and yeah. it's usually the wrong foods mm-hmm. that are so if you're going to vilify a food you know at least be accurate about it sort of thing that, but, that's but it, my frustration but it all boils down to just overall education doesn't it yeah like, you know and being able to you know actually just just educate patients educate employees educate you know just everyday people on the best you know, the best thing a gp can do is recommend books really thinking about it because they don't have time to give that advice in their eight or ten minute slots but the problem is the books they would recommend they'd probably be paid to recommend and they'd probably be books that recommended food, food industry yeah backed government well, guidelines and it's, food it's industry like when, when my um when my dad was diagnosed with diabetes you know some years ago and uh he was given like a leaflet saying that these are the foods you should be eating and and it was all wholemeal bread wholemeal pasta fruits vegetables yeah. and, and it could have been any fruit whatever and as we now you know we know that too much fruit is no good thing yeah generally yeah. even especially if you've got diabetes but then ironically he went for a, a test again recently um and they gave him a leaflet again and it was it was exactly the same nothing has changed over the years yeah. there's been no kind of like update, to the update or anything it's just the same old stuff the and sweeteners the list of sweeteners is horrendous you know chemical well i almost wonder what what if he'd still be alive now if he followed those guidelines and we didn't intervene somewhat oh i know he doesn't bet does it really but, <clears throat> but it's hard because we are saying one thing and then you've got these white coats saying another thing and it makes it i'm sure all nutritionist trainers out there are experiencing a really similar thing and you even start to doubt it yourself i know when i first started out on learning all of this information and, and thinking it does make sense i do agree um it took me years to feel confident given the advice yeah. it really did and i had to keep revisiting it i went to as many conferences and seminars and spoke to i watched doctors and you know sort of functional medicine practitioners explain the science and then I, I, I grasped it so yeah. 
I really feel for when I was a personal trainer just trying to explain these concepts and I wasn't even that confident in them myself, but I trusted the sources I was listening to. Mm-hmm. It can be really frightening. And often, you know, as a as a trainer, you're not really qualified to sort of go up against, you know, someone like a GP, for example, yeah. and say, you shouldn't be on that medication, you shouldn't be eating those foods, you know. So it is really difficult. And I really empathise with, with people out there trying to, you know, on that mission. But just, just do stay on that mission and just mm. keep going. If you go to, um, for me, going to a lot of things like complementary, oh, God, but CAM, which is, I'm trying to think what the acronym stands for, it's... Um, complementary and alternative medicine yeah so their conferences they will have people like doctors there and um some of the laboratories like genova and, and biolabs have conferences with um with gps and and so you are hearing it from conventional medicine practitioners if you need that that backup that confidence that yeah you know that's that's conventional as well as alternative so yeah and my advice is even i think they even take people of you know that just have a, a genuine interest in in these um in these topics so if you can get along to events like that, um, it's just really useful. Biocare also run a lot, but again, I don't know if they're just for practitioners or if you can go as a member of the public, but it's worth getting in touch. I think, though, you know, that there is a, a greater trend now with people that do just want to further their own learning yeah, anyway, yeah. just to kind of get a better understanding of health, nutrition and, and a better quality of life, Yeah, which I think is awesome. You know, like the, the amount of people that sign up for our plans now and love the educational aspect of what we do and and that's amazing knowing that you're working with people that don't just want to be told what to do in terms of what to eat how to train yeah they want to know why i mean that's that's our ethos anyway we want to educate people so they haven't really got a choice yeah yeah um but people are so um you know respond really well to it and, and that that's amazing there's definitely that trend of people seeking like further education most of which don't even want to it's not even like they want to pursue a career in here. No, no. A lot of people don't have a choice. Their health issues drive them that way, and then they're not getting anywhere with medication and, um, yeah. you know, so that they, they get on the internet and just start to do their research, and hopefully they come across a lot of the, you know, we've said in blogs, follow the ancestral community because there are, there's even some excellent, um, uh, not just excellent researchers in there, uh, uh, but some excellent GPs are now sort of, you know, oh, yeah. sort of um, trying to think of a phrase holding the baton or whatever it is anyway uh okay so moving on what are we going to talk about next <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of threw me off because i didn't know we were going to talk about that <laughs> you, we, we, we'd planned out it was like right so what are we going to talk about this week let's do da, 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 and then boom straight away straight Karis, in there Karis threw me right off well i know i know what i can uh, just go on to so uh the organic question so yes um, this is actually a question my dad asked me this week so I got my mum and dad a, a Nutribullet. I think it's a great present to get anybody, like a member of your family, uh, birthday or whatever, save up halves with friends and brothers, sisters. So I got my mum and dad a Nutribullet and um, they've been great actually having their, their green smoothies in the morning and adding like protein and, and coconut oil and um, it's a great way to get things like cinnamon and turmeric in there. So my dad's loving it and, and he said to me, he was doing his green smoothie one morning, he'd, he was using frozen berries that weren't organic um, and he said how important is it that my uh, berries are organic um, now as you might know there is something called the clean 15 and the, the dirty dozen um, which exists and you can have a look on the environmental working group website but this is a u.s based um, assessment so obviously it's slightly different in the u.s um, some of the same principles are going to apply in that you know if you're 
if it's a thick-skinned fruit, perhaps, um, you know, not as many of the pesticides and chemicals are going to actually reach the flesh part of the fruit that you're eating. Um, but actually, somebody who um, I previously studied with, we're all part of a, a Google group and still chat. Um, so I've got to thank him. His name's Jack. I always think credit where credit's due. Highlighted, <laughs> <laughs> highlighted that... Um, um, it's not that the same thing exists um, for the UK, um, but there is um, a company called Pan UK. And go on, and I did have that written down. It's something like, I think it's Pesticides Action Network. But look up Pan UK online. Um, and so what they do is they're doing a the similar amount of research in the UK um, about the foods that we're having in the UK. So which ones are um, have the most pesticides and fertilisers. I have to say, if you just spend, like, an hour on that website, it's very frightening, like, really frightening, the amount of chemicals that are being put into our fruits and vegetables that haven't even really been approved, um, you know, for use for human consumption. Yeah, but, but how do... How do they get away with that, though? That's surely it's illegal. Well, if you if you look on the website, they did some tests and just said that they, there's like levels that the, the government tries to implement. But obviously, that's quite different of how many chemicals we could ha- we could have on that one fruit or vegetables, um, and how toxic they are. But a lot of this is going to be down to you know exposure, ongoing exposure, and 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 you know how much how much you have over a period of time. Um, what was most helpful because once again, if if anyone's like me, I get on this site and I just get, I'm filled with the fear of God. It's just like, oh my God, another, <laughs> another thing to panic about or worry about. Um, but they did do the best and worst foods for pesticide residues um, in the UK. And so are you ready? So here was Should the list. start off with a positive? Yeah, let's start with a positive. And they also did an analysis of what supermarkets were trying to do um, a little bit more on this side of things and reduce the amount of pesticides and support. There are a lot of initiatives. And if you get the Waitrose Weekend magazine, it's full of these initiatives. They're, they're trying to find more natural ways of protecting um, crops like fruit and vegetables. So I think we were reading one weekend about how they were using seaweeds and they were using some sort of bug to eat up other bugs. So they were trying to do it all naturally, yeah, chemical-free, yeah. and it was really exciting, and we felt really confident that the Waitrose way was the way forward, and, and eating their fruit and vegetables was probably our best bet supermarket-wise. Yeah. However, um, this uh, company did an analysis of what the supermarkets were doing, uh, and there is something called, um, I think they're called integrated, uh, just bear with me a second, I'm trying to get it up on the screen because I won't be able to remember all of this. There are some, um, they're like integrated um programs where they're, where they're just looking at more natural methods and which supermarkets are leading on this and that goes right through to even just being fair trade as well um so so which supermarkets are really trying to be a decent supermarket and i'll go through those in a second what take, came out top okay but the best fruits so these are the ones that you could probably get away with buying uh, non-organic obviously we like to advise organic where possible when i saw the first one star fruit i was like well when was the last time you ate a star fruit yeah. <laughs> like, i think in a restaurant maybe about <laughs> five years ago talking about seasonal yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, plums are up there that surprised me yeah it just me as well exotic fruits um so i would i i, I, I it doesn't actually list them but that's going to be things like pineapple mango papaya papaya yeah again you're peeling those so uh kiwi fruits see i, I eat the skin on a kiwi fruit though I know I used to. I did used to. I just eat, you know, I just... Yeah, well, the thing with the skin is that's where a lot of the the anti-nutrients might be often because it's how the fruit protects itself. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing at the moment, but I'm sure it gives you a lot of fibre. That's all I'd say. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> bananas, of course, uh, raspberries. So my dad was fine with his uh, frozen raspberries. Um, all of the berries and then melons. Um, so all of the berries, I'm assuming this is like more of the British berries, so blackberries, um, which is interesting because berries were highly sprayed on the, the US um, environmental working group right. list. I'd like to think that maybe the UK is staying a bit more, you know, natural with those sorts of things. Uh, um, did I say melon? Melon's the last one. Yeah. Okay, worst fruits were, this is interesting, so soft citrus. Um, so it, there was a lot of articles on the peel of lemons Um, carrying quite a high level of a certain pesticide that was very toxic in high doses. So, But you you tend, you don't lemon peel. Well, I was about to say, but then I have a slice of lemon in my water nearly all day long. Oh, yeah, you put the whole thing in. Yeah, I do. And I'd stopped buying some organic. You can't, I don't know if I've seen organic lemons very recently. No, you you do. But the organic limes have no juice in them, do they? Oh, they're terrible. They're terrible. Like, you squeeze them and nothing comes out. Um, So I'd gone to buy an unwaxed lemons... Because um, you can't always get organic lemons, they're not always readily available. But yeah, soft citrus, so that's lemons, limes, should all be organic. Um, oh, so pineapples are on this list, so they yeah. can't be in the exotic fruit. That's a bit confusing. Yeah, well, I suppose it's down to you to work out what exotic fruit is. <laughs> Might you make that decision? Yeah. So yeah, maybe you need to clarify that one. Um, apples, which I've seen before, that that's, pears. Uh, you missed out. Oh, sorry, pears, apples, and grapes. Strawberries. So obviously, strawberries aren't under other berries. This list is more confusing than it is helpful. Uh, peaches and nectarines and apricots. So those are all best brought organic where possible. Um, I think, as I would say, said to you, think aiming to get as much organic as you can, but probably even better is going to a farmer's market or yeah. using someone like Abel and Cole or Riverford Organic just for your uh, fruit and for your maybe just for your salad and stuff, if that's well, all Well, Abel and Cole is quite cool because obviously, you know, you just have it delivered to you. Yeah, and um, it is really good quality stuff. You know, yeah, we, we've ordered, we order from Abel Cole from time to time. It's not vastly, uh, you know, more expensive than supermarkets. Well, it's funny because we we've got a really amazing farm shop near us, and whilst most of their stuff is locally grown, not all of it is. Yeah, and it's a little bit hit and miss, misleading sometimes. Yeah, in yeah. That we're just kind of like pile our basket with stuff because you just think oh, I'm on a roll here. Tons of organic, locally grown vegetables. And then it won't until we look closely at the sign that it's come from France and doesn't actually stay organic. A lot of the farm shops do that, and it's a bit sneaky because, um, you know, things that you would assume carrots, for example, well, they'll definitely be local, you know, easily, and and they're not always. So so what about vegetables then? You've spoken about fruit. What are the kind of best, what are the best vegetables that don't need to be organic? um, So you've got corn on the cob. Um, oh, I love a corn on the cob. <laughs> I didn't eat corn. Uh, leeks, which I'm really pleased about because I love leeks. And actually, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were saying, you know, don't always wash them if they're, you know, sort of from your local farm shop. So get a bit of dirt in your dinner. Yeah. Full of um, sort of soil-based organisms, which yeah. will help with your good bacteria balance. Aubergines. I don't really like aubergines. Onions. Uh, ginger, that's good. Chili, potatoes, which is really interesting because they're on the dirty dozen of the the USA. Uh, peppers, celery, and spinach. Nice. So that's good. Oh, and then wow. the worst. Are... This is awesome because we eat tons of this stuff. So yeah, we do. We'll save a fortune. Huh? <laughs> worst. They still have. You can see they still have residues on yeah, them. Of course. Um, then worst were tomatoes. Um, and what's interesting though, we recently brought some organic. Tomatoes from the Isle of Man, and they tasted of absolutely nothing, didn't they? No, they really struggled to get decent tomatoes. Now, I know they're out of season, 
I still like eating them all year round. I know that's really bad. Uh, parsnips should be organic. Cucumber should be organic. Carrots should be organic. That's yeah. quite easy now. You don't need to say should be organic after everyone. I know, but I just thought I'd just, just, just get everyone <laughs> to realise where we've gone back to. Carrots is easy, I think. They're, they're pretty much organic in every supermarket or egg version of, and they're not too expensive. Although supermarket organic is different to Abel and Cole and Riverford organic, but we're talking about what's most viable for you here. Yeah. Lettuce, beans in a pod, peas in a pod, sweet potatoes, which is really interesting because they're on the clean 15 in the US, mm, so a lot of people have been buying those non-organic. Uh, courgettes and marrows and yams. Um, so they should all ideally be organic. And in terms of the supermarkets, uh, sorry, the worst other foods... Uh, which you should ideally get organic are cereal grains. Hopefully you're not buying those anyway. Uh, some of you might be having rice, though, so it's worth considering that. <laughs> and then it's put cereal bars, but isn't that the same thing? It's actually quite funny because this list here <laughs> Flour. is essentially Bread. all the things we tend not to eat anyway. Anyway, yeah. I mean, the only thing here, obviously, that stands out to us would be that we eat a lot of is, is herbs. Yeah, which is different, difficult because it's really hard to get... Um, but organic w- herbs. Would you not say though that the fresh herbs anyway? I was going to say I don't think I've ever seen organic fresh herbs. Not in the supermarkets. No. Uh, one thing I'd say. But is... when you say the benefits of herbs would outweigh the potential dangers. Um, I don't know. It's a difficult one. I know in the EU we're protected against a lot of stuff that happens uh, elsewhere in the world in terms of irradiation of herbs, which is a bit nasty and not something that you want to have. So, yeah, I think buying some fresh herbs is, is, is a good shout still. Um, I would make sure your dried herbs, because obviously one of these lasts longer, um, so you're getting a bit more investment, and, and they're such a rich source of antioxidants. If you just made sure they were organic, you could get a big, big bang for your buck. Yeah. And the sites like... Um, so Crazy Jack's is in some supermarkets. Yeah. Um, uh, Sainsbury's and uh, Waitrose do have quite a good range of organic herbs, um, Steamburgs, Steamburgs is an amazing website. You should all hit that it's, website. It's just a bit and expensive, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is more expensive, but this is what I've mentioned. This is this is where you should invest your money because this is your antioxidants. So before you go out and buy, you know, like the new top and the new pair of trainers, Matthew. What? The new pair of trainers, like yours, arrived this week. Then, then this is where <laughs> you should be investing in turmeric, not trainers. trainers. <laughs> so. Steamburgs, I'd, I'd get on that website and I would just stock up. They do some great, like, bulk bags. Uh, their teas are amazing. And it's all sort of fair trade and it's a, it's a lovely family-run company. So, um, yeah, I would invest there because that's your medicine. So mm-hmm. no, no, do I agree. that. I agree. Um, in terms of uh, other foods, I'll uh, we'll just run this list of that should be organic. So there was oily fish. So, um, but how, how do you get organic oily fish? Well, though? this is the thing, and this is a bit. It's, of, gonna be, it's just going to be fed organic grain most yeah, of the time. I wouldn't. Wild. To be honest, we don't. I wouldn't advise anyone buy farmed fish. Um, I'd be going wild. I'd even prefer that you were probably at tinned fish over um, tinned wild fish. Tinned wild fish. Yeah, sorry. Um, you know, and and sardines for me are like if you could just eat sardines, tinned sardines, like loads of skin, bones, and and omega threes. Yeah. That'll do. Um, but the others were cereal grains, flour, cereal bars, dried fruit, which was interesting, bread, herbs, chips. Oh, no, chips. Uh, crisps and rice. Hold on, but that's interesting because it says chips and then there's a picture of a white potato. But then, so what are they referring to exactly there? Because Probably both. Well, because here it's, it said potatoes is fine. 
doesn't need to be organic. No, maybe we need to... This, this list needs to look into. But I'd use that as a guide that I wouldn't buy... I yeah. wouldn't buy chips from a supermarket well, as anyway. Say, you're referring to chips as a product. I would imagine. It's like, you know, frozen chips I wonder or if the, the way that... Uh, if it's, you know, a process of a, a sort of chemical or fertiliser or whatever that's added to preserve it once it's a chip, not a <clears> potato. <throat> anyway, <laughs> in uh, the terms of the supermarkets... So they did an assessment of the supermarkets and looked at supermarkets that were willing to publish its testing results um, in terms of the, the level of um, uh, pesticide and fertiliser residues on their food, action plans that they put in place um, to make sure that, one, they complied legally, um, commitment to changing it in the future and getting rid of hazardous pesticides, um, and things like pest management strategies, which promoted alternative options, more natural options. Um, so they looked at all the different supermarkets and even like engaging with customers um, and letting them know the changes that were taking place. And one big thing that they were trying to argue for was that people understood the more ugly the vegetable, the more natural and healthy it probably was. And that if we could yeah. stop this demand for beautiful, perfect-looking aesthetics, um, carrots and apples and things, then then maybe there wouldn't be this need all these chemicals on them. I don't mind a wonky... Uh, a wonky carrot. A wonky carrot. I'm quite happy with it. Um, it all goes down the same way. So, <laughs> in terms of supermarkets, guess who came out tops? Give me the top three. Well, you're asking me. It's on the screen yeah. in front of me. Okay. <laughs> Telling me to guess. Um... I'm asking the viewers. Guess. Guess amongst yourself now. Who do you think? I mean, I know when I asked you, and when you hadn't seen the results, you said, wait, Rose. Actually, yeah, Waitrose is the first one I said, wasn't yeah. it? it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not even in the top three. Number one was Marks and Spencer's, closely followed by Sainsbury's, followed by the co-op. So mm. there you go. So they are sort of three best options in terms of the work that they're doing to try and remove hazardous substances and, and be quite open about... Um, you know, so you could write to their customer services, and the Pan UK website has um, links to their customer services if you want to ask about specific foods. So if you did want to ask about how come potatoes are on the clean list but chips are not, there's a link to ask on there. So, mm. and you know, if you wanted a definition of exotic fruits, get it from the from the website. So um, I thought that was really really interesting. And do you want to know the worst? So uh, they were the top three, and then at the Naming other end, in here. yeah, Aldi, Lidl, and Morrison's appear to be doing absolutely nothing on this. They do do a lot on local sourcing. I know Aldi and Lidl are quite big on having sort of hubs, as are Morrison's actually, hubs of, of using local UK farmers. And then in the middle was Asda, Summerfield, Tesco, and Waitrose were making some effort, which is so interesting because if you get the Waitrose Weekend magazine, it's all about what they're doing to be more natural and reduce pesticides and residues in their food yeah so very good marketing on behalf of waitrose um so yeah i thought that was just really interesting and i wanted to share it feel free to go onto that website they've got these nice What's little the lists um i think it's uh if you just put pan uk uh i think it's pesticides action network you'll find the lists on there and we'll probably stick them in a blog at some point when we've got time um so you can just print them off and stick them on your fridge or a thumb right so moving on Shall we, as it's uh, Valentine's almost upon us, shall we just um, discuss relationships? <laughs> yeah. So, guys, the, re the reason we want to talk about relationships is that, of course, we're no relationship experts or 
you know, love gurus, psychiatrists, counsellors, whatever. But we kind of just wanted to give a little bit of an insight on maybe some of the the changes that we've made or the things that we've implemented into our relationship. Not necessarily bring the spark back, but just to... <laughs> it all gone a bit stale. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, just to kind of just create more kind of exciting times and things to look forward to and whatnot. Because we're quite different to most couples in that we not only live together, but we work together. You know, we run like a business together, which can be very, very stressful at times, you know, quite, quite overwhelming. And it just means that we spend a lot of time together, don't we? I was going to say, I mean, I suppose just backtracking a little bit, the number of emails and um, questions we get about lack of libido is, is really, it's just like, it's pretty, it seems like everybody is experiencing yeah. it. And men, men and women. Yeah, and what's quite funny is, it's not funny, but I'll sometimes be in a consultation, and this has gone back years to being a personal trainer, and I can spot that perhaps a man wants to speak about his lack of libido or his lack of a, a morning erection, which is a sign of, of healthy testosterone, but doesn't know how to say it and is embarrassed, which is silly. Yeah, because I, it's a, mo- I think most it's blokes no different are, to having bad skin. It's, it's, a, it's a health issue. Mo- you want most to... blokes are quite... Um, I think it's a pride thing. Yeah. You know, course, most yeah. blokes that, you know, like it's very rare that a guy will just come out and say, yeah, I don't have a, a morning wood. I don't, you know, I don't feel very horny. It's like, yeah, wake up in the morning with a massive boner. <laughs> all I think about is sex, you know, feel horny all the time. You know, it's, it's like a... the B word. <laughs> why not? People know what I'm talking My about. My parents might listen to this. Oh, God. <laughs> They're so PC, aren't they? Well, what I was going to say was, like, when you actually wrote a blog, this is, again, going back years when we were just working as as personal trainers and you wrote a blog about that you know as a measure of of your health and how you had a phase where you didn't have you know that morning we'll call it a morning wood that's that's easier on the ear (laughs) where you didn't have the morning wood and I think people were so relieved that someone like you admitted it and it almost opened the floodgates for a lot of of guys to admit it yeah (laughs) and people I think it was uh Ben Coomer mentioned he used it as a guide as to whether to train or not and and it became like the it was good that the that, that guys were talking about it. I think it was really, really important. Yeah. Women, meanwhile, I think have had this pretty much like for decades and had to suffer it. And the blog that we've written this week on the um, the Fitter London website um, explains that a lot of this is probably driven by stress as a massive factor. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and huh. by um, things like the oral contraceptive pill, which most women have been on for like years. And, and one of the jobs for some of the contraceptive pills is to actively suppress testosterone in women. Um, you might be giving it for acne or PCOS, which would mean that your sex drive would just be on the floor because you just don't have that healthy, you know, testosterone is the one that, 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 you know, is responsible, one of the hormones that really is responsible for sexual desire. So if the levels are low, um, and, uh, you know, then that's going to be one of the, the issues. A lot of people look at their relationship first, which is really sad, and think that it might be something wrong with the relationship. And I think men... Uh, take it very personally when a woman doesn't have that sense of sexual desire. This is why, just why from, are you looking at me like that? And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, a couple of things I'd say is it, it's just it's really not the case. And um, and like I said, a lot of things that that women are, I would say, and I think you'd agree, a lot more susceptible to the the negative effects of stress than men. Yeah. Um, and carry it around with them daily and struggle to switch off. Yeah. I've lost count of the number of female clients I've said that just never switch off yeah. and can't sit still 
can't do nothing. Um, whereas men almost just need to be chill out a little bit more and then it's like, well, hey, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good at that. Um, so, yeah, so I just think it's... Um, it's it's such a it's such a it's a bit of a complex subject in that sense where people think it's about their relationship but it's really not it's about a lot of other factors yeah well i think you know we've always said haven't we i mean it kind of makes sense really because we work together we run a business together when things are less stressful and our workload isn't so intense spend more quality time together yeah where yeah we we do more fun stuff together and it isn't all just work 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 and you know, which which sounds obvious, but then you know, I suppose that's down to us to kind of implement a little bit more downtime and whatnot. But what what we have been doing is we we kind of, you know, let's just put it out there. You know, we're, we're transparent with people, aren't we? You know, last year things were kind of massively full on for us, weren't they? With work and probably the most full on it's ever been, and and it was literally, you know, very much all work no play. And um, a lot of this was actually whilst we were away in Portugal, wasn't it? And, and whilst, you know, we had every intention of working whilst we were in Portugal, we, we still had these visions of spending plenty of time at the beach and all of that. And, and I'm sure if people saw the pictures, they thought, oh, these two are having a whale of a time. You know, lots of downtime and this, that and the other. And it actually wasn't quite the case. We had an amazing time, don't get me wrong. You know, there's far worse places in the world to be working, let me tell you. However... We, you know, we, we we had a massive workload and we probably didn't enjoy our time there as much as we planned to, as much as we could have done. And we kind of just had a, sat, a sit down when we got back and just had a good old chat about, you know, getting a little bit more control over kind of what we do and, and consciously uh, 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 penciling in like downtime and, and, and doing date nights, didn't we? Yeah. Because we were like, when was the last time we just went on a date? You know, just went for a really nice dinner, didn't even speak about work, just kind of... Because that's the hard thing, because we spend so much time together. It's not, oh, you know, how was your day? You know, <laughs> how's things going at work? You know, how's that project you were working on? Because we worked together, you know? It was amazing, because we started implementing these date nights, and we, we take it in turns, don't we? And, you know, you plan one, I plan one, and uh, we, we tend to do it, like, two to three times a month. And it doesn't need to be, you know, it's not like it's proper extravagant, like it's always an expensive restaurant or whatever. It may be it may be a nice meal out, you know, it might be that. Or, you know, I recently took Keris to a comedy night to see Russell Kane, which was a really cheap night out. It was a really cheap date. <laughs> that was like um, 10 quid or something. Wasn't it was like 12 quid a yeah. ticket or something, yeah, you know, yeah. so it didn't cost the earth and we had a great time. One thing I was going to say was... Um, Rock climbing. Yeah, what well, we have... Um, just chatting with friends about this as well and somebody mentioned they actually put it in their calendar that they're going to do something each week together or for each other um and again you think that you know we're all a bit of a slave to a schedule but it's more that you actually need to be accountable which sounds silly and it took me a while to accept that i was like i don't want to have to enforce couple times you know i mean yeah i think you really have to because even when you're together um and it's really interesting the next podcast we have is with um Paul, Paul Watson, Watson, who has um, been helping our online plans with uh, mindfulness and being in the moment. And he even says relationships are really suffering because we are so um, bombarded with sort of information and online all the time and yeah. connected that you almost can't sit on a date or sit and have a coffee or a drink with your partner and enjoy it for what it is. And we're losing the art of conversation. And well, that's the thing. You go to a restaurant now and you just look around at the tables yeah. and the amount of people that 
have their phones out. And and it's not even, you know, necessarily that one just has their phone out briefly. There are times, like, we always nudge each other and we're like, look at them pair. And there's a couple that are just there, both on their phones. Yeah, it's really not even talk, Not even talking a word to each other. And it's it's crazy. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're, we're quite attached to our phones and, and whatnot, but it's normally work-related. Yeah. But even when we're out having dinner together, you know... We have made it. I think you do have to make a conscious effort to turn the phone off, leave it at home. Um, and that's both of you because, you know, people are always going to have emails coming in. And um, and also it can be a bit of a scapegoat. So when things aren't going so well or you've run out of conversation, people hit the phone. And, you know, maybe you need to experience that 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 awkward moment and think, OK, well, this isn't right. Why are we having these yeah. moments of silence and, and not not sort of use your phone as a as a security you know device as it as it might be but i think the other thing that we've seen quite a lot of is um and i know this is something that you and i both personally experienced is that as you go through life and you make changes like you decide to get healthy and you decide to change your nutrition um, and perhaps you decide to stop drinking alcohol because it's not working for you um, and you want to go running on a saturday rather than lying in bed hungover this can play a massive um have a, have a massive impact on your relationship um, if, if you initially bonded over, you know, sort of drunken nights out yeah. and like, um, you know, not 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 sort of the healthiest of, of weekends, then and we do see this quite frequently. And I think health has to probably be a journey that you don't force on someone else, but they do have to come with you hmm. because ultimately it's going to sort of scream in your well, face that there's a difference. I don't necessarily agree that they have to come with you. It's, I think it's more a case of um, they'd have to come with me. Huh? <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, is that, well, with you, it's different because you'd get so stressed that the other person is eating, <laughs> you know, like grains and sugar and whatnot. Yeah. Like, you know, but what I'm saying is, is with, with with couples, it tends to be a case of that, you know, maybe someone's kind of like taking on like healthier habits, whatnot, like you're saying, drinking less, training more, eating different foods. But that's not normally an issue unless the other person makes it an issue and starts kind of like highlighting it as a problem or, you know, we don't eat the same meals or da 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 yeah, yeah. And it kind of needs to go both ways in that I'm not saying that if someone wants to make healthier choices that they need to start eating crap just to kind of make the other person happy. And it doesn't need to be vice versa. It doesn't need to be that the person that enjoys their pizza and takeaways needs to just all of a sudden be healthy. But there needs to be a level of understanding of that, do you know what, that's what you want to do. That's what makes you happy. It's you know, not you're not to. giving me a hard time about it. So yeah, you're why, much more open-minded. I think. Why, why can't this work? <laughs> One thing I would say is, if you if you're in that situation now, I think with your partner where you're trying to make change, you know, to, to bet to, to better your own health. Hopefully, you have some control over over their meals as well, and just start to cook some healthier meals. You know, like we've often said, have a fit food dinner party for friends and family to try and show them the way. But don't tell them it's what it, it is a fit food exactly, thing. Just yeah. cook them food. Just and cook it. the food. Make sure the cakes that you bake are with with healthier um, sugars and honey, and and do things like swap your teas and coffees and wines for really good quality ones, and and just start to to do that without sort of being open, like you know, openly dictatorial about it. But the other thing I would also suggest is that. I think it's really important that couples do spend quality time together, leisure time together at the weekend. Yeah. And they can be really active things that aren't... I would have... I mean, prior to you, um, my previous boyfriend... What? 
<laughs> Sorry to bring I, him up. I thought it was your first. We went to the gym twice <laughs> in seven years. Curious. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to break your heart. We went to the gym twice in seven years and it was horrendous. He said I was like Hitler. And he was like, you're an absolute nutter in the gym. I'm never, ever setting foot in the gym with you. And we never trained together. What we did start to realise towards the end of the relationship, maybe slightly too late, was that if we just did things like a little bit more active things at the weekend, it kept me happy. And actually, he enjoyed it. But for him, it had to have a leisure angle. So a bike ride outside, for example, you know, like he wasn't into exercise for the sake of it. And there are so many things you can do as a couple, like rock climbing, um, bike rides, walking, um, any new skills, you know, like hobbies and things like that. And I often say to people, I don't really think you should be in the gym at the weekend. I think you should be out with your partner. Well, to be fair, even doing nice stuff in our pre pre fit food days, yeah. we used to do that, didn't we? Yeah, we'd, we did. We'd cycle ride. everywhere. Yeah. And, we used to pick nice. To be too fair, we used to like cycle like to a pub. Either or a nice cake shop. <laughs> Yeah, we'd be like, oh, yeah, this, this place is meant to be amazing. Let's cycle there. Oh, we did used to go to, like, big food markets and stuff. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. But, but, but the kind of, like, the point is, is that it doesn't necessarily need to be all about health, 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 because, you know, all I'm saying is, is that... But that was healthy in the sense oh, of, of, of we're out and about, fresh air, fun, and yeah. doing something really active. Um, and so I think it just is important to try and, and keep that common common ground in that sense. So, um, yeah, even Well, I think, hobbies, like, naturally, if I was a lazy slob who didn't train who didn't necessarily look off not necessarily fat but just didn't train didn't really worry about much what about how i ate that would probably say a lot about other aspects of my personality maybe but then i think because we have this conversation it's like, oh would you still love me if i got fat <laughs> or was like, oh, yeah of course i would yeah you know like it's, it's not just about looks <laughs> but then i've always said that it's not necessarily about looks like because if i got fat now chances are that would be because of a bit of a change in my personality in that I kind of like not caring and not valuing my health and and that's probably what you wouldn't find attractive. No, do you know what, I've never been bothered by physiques and I know that sounds absolutely like, well, look at the person you're going out with, it looks like I am because I ain't going out with you for your brains. I was going to (laughs) say, what drew you towards me because it wasn't my brains. (laughs) But like physiques have never, never bothered me in that sense, I've never sought after... I've never had pinups of of men, like in my bedroom. That you know, Kerry used to fancy Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I did. <laughs> just to give you a bit of an indication of to, you know, the... I've got rough taste in men. <laughs> but that's I've never been uh, like it's always been for me more like personality and banter and fun and do you know what? Someone who makes me laugh has just always been the way forward for me. I think that's just really important for a relationship. We haven't even mentioned that. Um, but what I was going to say was now, knowing what I know, it would just be more that I would worry about the health and know that um, when you're starting a family and things like that, I just want kids to be healthy and to learn healthy habits yeah. from, from parents. So for me, it, it would be really important now, but not because of I want you to have a six pack, if that makes sense. Good, because when you got a three pack, yeah. <laughs> that's all you're getting. <laughs> So, yeah, so that would be... Uh, I think we've pretty much covered what we think is in a healthy relationship. Laughter, Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, times. guys, I, we, we're not talking about this in any way to kind of, like, like I said, we're, we're not trying to claim to be experts on this at all, but it's, it's kind of... It's something that creeps up a lot on our plans. I, I have to say that most of our plans... It's predominantly female, isn't it? Yeah. 
and we often get the women kind of coming into it. There's a private group that we, we have on Facebook for everybody and we interact with them daily there. And a lot of them like, end up saying that their partners have been quite unsupportive of what they're doing and they're making it hard for them kind of uh, giving them jip about the foods they're eating and, and that they miss having certain foods and this, that and the other. And it's a bit frustrating because we've always kind of, you know, Keris and I, like, we've always supported one another in what we do. And it might not necessarily be something that we agree with, but if we know it means something to them, then naturally you talk about it and you support them. And it always surprises us at how unsupportive some partners can be. Yeah. But it kind of does tie in to kind of just, you know, not making a big deal out of it your end as well, you know, not kind of being all of a sudden, we can't have this, we can't have that. I would go and say, do you know where I think part of the problem comes from? And um, I'm going to talk about the ex again, so brace yourself. Oh, here we go. Part of the problem comes from, because as women, we are, we've spent decades, I know I'd spent decades um, doing sort of, not fad diets, but what I thought was healthy, and then I'd read something else decades. and change it. So, how old are you? You're lying about your age decades. as well. It's probably decades by now. Decades of like, I'm eating this. No, I'm not eating that. I'm not touching that. Some of it was driven a lot by IBS. So even as I mentioned before, doctors were telling me, you know, don't have dairy, don't have gluten. So I was changing a lot of the foods. But ironically, my ex-partner to lose weight, he he used to eat what he liked most of the year. But to lose weight in January, he did strict Atkins every yeah. year religiously, and I thought this was the most horrendous diet ever. And it was fry ups for breakfast with butter, eating nuts, eating salads. It's probably the healthiest he was for the year, and he dropped stones in yeah. weeks. So it, you know, it was working. Whereas I would sit there with my uh, multi-grain special K something or other, topped with candorel, horrific, um, and soy milk saying, you are so unhealthy, like, you know, and then I'd go off for my yeah. three-hour run or something. So, actually, I was the unhealthiest one of the two of us at that time. Um, so, I do sympathise with men because us women are always changing our minds. Um, and one thing I would like to reassure anybody out there that's listening is, is that the conclusion I've come to after 20 years of, of all the research is just what we're advocating with fit food is that natural-based diet and then just finding your way in terms of, you know, how many carbs can you tolerate, well, how it, much exercise it, is healthy, and it's all about that well, right it's, balance. It's funny, isn't it, because you hear all these ratios. Oh, you know, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm good 80% of the time and I have my 20% of treats. Other people are, oh, you know, I'm more like 90-10. Others might be 70-30. And I, I think... We, we know a few people that are completely 100%. They are so dull... It's ridiculous, you know, like, and, and I almost think they've just gone to this whole extreme and they don't even come across as necessarily being entirely happy. So it's almost like a slight obsession yeah, with, the, yeah. with the nutrition. Not that, they're, not that they're underweight or anything like that, but it's almost like I must be 100% or nothing at all. And they call, um, they call it like the paleo police online, yeah, aren't they? they and it's of... just, they, they frown upon absolutely everything. Oh, oh, you're having a second cup of coffee, are you? Yeah. All right, oh, tut, tut, you know. And it's like, you know, that, that just comes a little bit irritating as well as like the, the reality is most people won't be like that. And we don't expect people to be like that. We're not like that. We're probably more 90-10. Maybe I'm 85-15. <laughs> but what I was going to say was, is it's about finding the ratio that works for you and what you can get away with. Because you might do 80-20 and that might work for you for a while, but then you might find you just need to rein it in a little bit more and become a bit more 90-10. 
in order for, for you to carry on enjoying it and more importantly sustain it long term. You know, occasionally if you go on holiday, special occasions, it might be a, more of a case of 70-30. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't imagine being with you if you were very intense about this sort of thing. I think, you know, because I've got that side in me, I'd find that very difficult, and I think you'd bring out my worst side. Yeah, I think if that made sense. If you, I think I balance you quite well, Karen. We've always said that when we met, in that are really into health and fitness, but you've always been on such a sensible level. Like you, you trained three or four times a week when I was training about twelve times a week, and you were just like, "Gosh, what are you doing?" So you've always had that that balance and that middle ground. Um, and yeah you're right I think that's really important I think that's really important for women and that men have that ability to be more chilled out and to say right come on it's not like <laughs> a glass of wine killed you before or a, yeah. you know so let's just yeah. get 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 a bit of balance back and as a couple you want to be able to go out and have those special occasions together and not be governed by um, you know calories and macros and and the, the contents um, you know we'll eat out sometimes and say do you mind if it's gluten or dairy free but that's sort of second nature for us and we yeah. know we're going to go for like a nice steak or fish and and stuff um so it's, it's not i don't see it as a hindrance on our night out but for some people it might be if your partner's not on board with yeah. it so it's about you know you can make some decent choices on a menu without but creating a fuss. in that sense we are quite fortunate aren't we in that we're kind of both on the same level both on the same wavelength so yes. therefore yeah yeah but then equally also you don't want to be bloated later on at night when you're trying to get like Jiggy. Jiggy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. You don't want to necessarily it's true. go and have a big pizza and then be like... I know, like, for me, if I go out and have, like, popcorn and pizza or whatever, I would just be so ill afterwards. It wouldn't really be a, a great date night. It's like I don't feel sexy. Perhaps. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so moving on. So, so, guys, just quickly, I just want to kind of touch on pre, pre and post-workout nutrition. And I'm only going to touch on this briefly because that this podcast the, the hour's gone really really quick um but i just kind of want to put this out there because this is something we probably get a question about you know without fail in one way or another you know be it pre-workout for crossfit pre-workout for weight training pre-workout for you know bulking whatever it may be we get this question all the time and there's so much information out there that's kind of like constantly evolving about uh, amino acid supplements that are out there intra-workout carbs post-workout carbs etc etc i think keris will agree with me here i think most people overthink it a hell of a lot and and i'm actually uh you know this is something we talk about on our plans we, on one of the webinars we discuss pre-post-workout nutrition you know th- there is a lot of information out there and what like keris was talking about earlier about information overload for us it's all about just getting the basics right in everything that you do. So in terms of pre-post-workout nutrition, our first bit of advice to everybody is just get your diet right first because essentially that makes up most of your pre-post-workout nutrition anyway because whatever you do outside of that one hour that you're in the gym is either post-workout or pre-workout. Yeah. Because, you know, if you spend the whole day eating a load of crap and then you go to the gym the next morning there's a good chance you're probably not going to perform optimally as, as, as opposed to if you had a day of, you know, predominantly nutrient-dense foods, et cetera, et cetera. But a question I got the other day about was, was about amino, amino acids, essentially. And just to give you an idea of what we do with people is, you know, for, like, for example, myself, you know, like if I train, I train in the morning, I'm normally at the gym by about 7 a.m. 
you know, I, I realistically, I'm not going to get up early enough to get a solid meal down me because ideally I'd want to be eating about two hours prior to make sure that I've digested the food properly. Uh, for me, I'm more than happy getting up, making myself a nice, good quality black coffee and having some, some amino acids, you know, some BCAAs, branched chain amino acids, about 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, the other key thing to do, obviously, is to make sure I'm hydrated because I've just woken up. You know, I've not had any fluids for about eight hours. So I'll make sure that I have about a pint of water, amino acids. I tend to add some greens powder in there as well just to kind of help buffer lactic acid, etc. Um, and I get some electrolytes in there as well. Uh, not that I'm about to go and do anything endurance based, but just because it's just it's just good for me to kind of make sure I'm like fully hydrated before I hit the gym. My training sessions tend to last about an hour to an hour and a half, depending on what I'm doing. If I'm training for an hour, I won't take on any intra workout uh, intra workout supplementation. I'll literally just make sure I stay hydrated because I mean there's there's studies out there that show maybe taking intra workout carbs or amino acids or whatever it may be are beneficial but the truth is most people don't train intensely enough or for long enough to, to justify actually having it so for me if i'm training for about an hour i'll just stay hydrated if i'm taking it up a notch and i'm maybe going for about an hour and a half i may look at some intra-workout nutrition um you know i might take on some some amino acids just to kind of preserve muscle a little bit uh, there's studies out there on Fatago, which is a, you know essentially a starch that's incredibly readily available to the body, um, and that's something I've been experimenting with, which you know at the moment seems to be doing me quite well. But it's still early days for me to kind of make a kind of solid, give a solid answer on that. Um, and then post workout, again, I just keep it really, really simple. I'll have myself a, a good quality whey protein shake. Um, I done a video the other day. Um, my, my whey. Post-workout whey tends to be pure whey in that nothing is added, no crap, no sweeteners, flavorings, nothing artificial at all. Um, we get pulsing just purely because it's kind of the process is done at a lower temperature. It comes from grass-fed, hormone-free British cow's milk, which is always cool. And then what I then do is I'll add a bit of cacao that's full of anti-inflammatories and antioxidants. I'll add some xylitol as well just to give it a bit of sweetness. Um, I'll get some frozen berries in there, maybe a banana as well to give my glucose and fructose. Um, and I might get a little bit of cinnamon. Cinnamon's fantastic because it kind of increases insulin sensitivity. Um, again, massively anti-inflammatory, full of antioxidants. And it tastes awesome and it's completely natural. Um, I'll get that down me. Generally, that tends to be a good hit of a kind of like a good two to one ratio of carbs to protein. So for me, post-workout, that generally is about 25 to 30 grams of protein. And then, of course, 55 to 60 grams of carbohydrates. Um, and that does me. You know, and I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big-ish guy. You know, I'm 9,800 kilos, 6 foot 2. And, and that, that does me. And then I'll then go and leave it about an hour before I have a solid meal after that that were kind of uh, proteins, carbs, and some fats bit higher in carb than normal slightly lower in fats than kind of like any other meals and for me that just gets the job done it doesn't require anything complicated any kind of fancy supplement protocol um you know there's there's the kind of charles poliquin suggestion of popping a bcaa pill in between every set that you're in the gym and you know there's some studies that probably back this up but then there's equally a lot of studies that 
suggest that unless you are an incredibly high level athlete that's training every day for multiple times for long you know prolonged periods of time or you are an incredibly large dude that's you know about 140 kilos six foot eight you know beast then do you need to take on much extra supplementation in the way of amino acids etc etc um but the message i just wanted to put out there was that you know don't overwhelm yourself kind of again tying in with what Kerry said it's there's so much information it's easy to get carried away keep it simple get your nutrition as nailed as you possibly can because that will decide the outcome of your workout much more so than than what you take immediately beforehand um but what? then let's go oh, sorry go on. no go on no no go on, no, go on. what did you say no i was going to say um just to the point i was making about the podcast was almost like every time you listen to i know i've just been going for a phase of, of updating myself with mm. a lot of podcasts and i would say i listened to about six all offering conflicting advice from really really reputable sources yeah and I don't doubt that it works for them um, completely. And they, they gave such convincing arguments that I started to change my nutrition there and then. Yeah. Like, ridiculously. And I came home to you and I went, we're changing everything. And You're like, well, I've just done a grocery shop. And, <laughs> and what I was about to say was, I think I just started to find a nice uh, formula for myself yeah. that I'd figured out through probably, like, trial and... Trial and error. Trial and error. Like you... After doing the massive circle of I've done biosignature and I've popped a lot of pills, you know, as recommended to try and enhance pre-post workout nutrition, I've ended up simplifying it right back to fasted training seems to work best for me. Uh, yeah. I just think without doubt, like I said, I, I can sometimes do free-form amino acids, but again, I think if I hit my protein target throughout the day, it's, it's a supplement that maybe I don't need. I spend yeah. a lot on other supplements that I think I do need. And... Uh, Collagen has been one that I think has just been so essential for me, and you have that as well, don't mm. you? Um, oh, yeah, I get that in my post-workout shake as well. Yeah, so I have it post-workout, have it um, maybe again a second time in the day if I can, because for me that's that's all about joints, and one thing that always hinders me is joints. Um, I'm a bit of a, a sucker for running. I do love it. Um, so if I'm going to run, I've got to be able to, to support that, and, and one, not run as often, but two, use things like collagen for joint yeah. support. Um, so for me, it actually ended up going back to what I did years ago, which is the, the fasted training. After listening to one of these podcasts, I was, I, he had a pre-workout sort of berries and collagen and uh, formula that I thought, well, I'll just give that a go. So I gave it a go. I actually waited two and a half hours before running and I still burped all the way along my run and just thought, no way, it just does not work for me. I'm just better fasted. I know it's running, so it's a little bit more jiggy, but <laughs> jiggy on the, on the gut. Uh, but definitely for me, I just think fasted works. Uh, and then, you know, for the rest of the day. But the, the other side I was just going to say was I had started to up my carbs really gradually and noticed um, generally performance and um, all-round performance and strength and, and energy was better throughout the day. Yeah. And then I was listening to some real sort of high-fat advocates and I started dropping the carbs again and going, no, I'm going to try the, the maybe carb cycling or whatever. Yeah. And within days, I felt worse. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, what are you doing? Stop listening to podcasts tonight. Yeah, but the thing is, though, but the key is there. Don't is, stop is, listening to this podcast. Is, <laughs> yeah. No, but the key is you the, the, You tried it. But, yeah, and that's yeah, the yeah. main aspect, is that it is all about trial and error. And Because a lot of people ask me about creatine, for example, you know, like creatine monohydrate, should I be taking it? Did a little look. I don't know why I just went did a little uh. no, no, no one says that at the end of a sentence. Um, <laughs> thing is with, <laughs> the thing is with creatine, for example, is that, you know, 
some people respond incredibly well to it, you know, and there's been huge studies where, you know, people have increased their physical performance and, you know, especially over a longer period of time, for example. And then obviously as a result of that, they've got stronger, they've got better results, et cetera, et cetera, because it's allowed them to increase their training volume and intensity. However, you do have non-responders. You know, there's lots of studies out there where just people didn't respond at all. So it's got They're, to be your own experiment, yeah, really, so try it. hasn't yeah. it? But this is the funny thing, because I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I've been taking creatine for about the last six months uh, because so-and-so recommended it to me. Um, do you think this is good and should I keep taking it? And my first question is, was how has it benefited you over the last six yeah, months? Yeah. First of all, if they turn around and say, well, I don't really know because I don't really follow a training log, you know... <laughs> My first response is, well, keep a training log. Otherwise, what's the point in taking all these bloody potions and powders if you don't even know that you're improving? Yeah, well, I mean, we've got on our Fat Loss Kickstarter, we launched a level two where we've actually got them logging um, food diaries and and feedback on the body. So, like, even energy and skin and, like, and then you've got them benchmarking their fitness their strength so and fitness yeah. at the beginning and the end of the four weeks there's 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 like assessments to do and on are you making progress check that you're not plateauing and it's such a simple thing you don't need you know you don't need our guidance you can do this yeah. yourself you can you can log um times power weights whatever and you can log how you feel after you know sort of a protein-based breakfast versus a carb-based breakfast yeah. um fasted training versus fed training um what i would say is be more consistent and the reason i stopped my mini two-day experiment was actually what i was doing was working and i yeah. don't know why i was changing it other than there was a really convincing argument by yeah. uh, on this podcast i was listening to it was actually fat burning man and it's a great podcast i have to say i keep calling him abel cole which is not his name it's abel james, abel james. <laughs> abel and cole um yeah and it's a good podcast and he's really actually one of the few that I find it really easy to listen to. There was a few that I tried last yeah, week. Yeah, it's easy to listen to, isn't I it? I really struggled to get past the introductions. But, yeah, he gave such a great argument, I thought, I'm going to try it. But what I was doing in terms of going on a higher carb, hydrate, I was actually doing a higher carb diet than I've done in a long time, and that was working for yeah. me. And to be fair, like, uh, you know, we did, we've done the DNA fit test, which is another thing that's available to anybody to do. Yeah. Um, there's also 23andMe, the genes testing, where you could look at... Um, you know, your sensitivity to carbs and, and, and saturated fats. Um, and I was actually fine with carbs, which I've probably always known because I've probably always eaten a bit of a higher carb yeah. carbohydrate diet. Uh, you were actually not so good, but then you've always done better with higher fats. So you don't need to have these expensive tests. You can conduct a personal experiment. Just take but, pride in what your body is telling you. Yeah, basically, and, 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 and do a few little experiments and, and stick with them for, for longer than I did. Well, that's know, the thing. I mean, you try know. Try it for a month to two months and see how you get on. Yeah, I mean, you've got to give it a little bit of time. And, you know, same goes with creating. You know, you just got to monitor your performance. And if it's going up, then there is a chance it's working for you. So, Actually, one really interesting point that was um, given by... Sarah, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who is the author of The Hormone Cure, was on there talking about um, HIIT training and, um, and, and fat loss and paleo for, for women. And they were yeah. talking actually about how they feel a lot of the paleo nutrition and the heavy training like CrossFit doesn't work for a lot of women, which yeah. we've often said as well. Um, you've got to have all your ducks in a row to be able to impose that level of stress on the body. And, and paleo can be very strict. Paleo can just be too low in carbohydrates and you have to adapt it. Um, what she mentioned was she felt that paleo nutrition didn't aid fat loss below 23% body fat, that you'll plateau, which was just a really interesting point. So you can come down from sort of more towards overweight obesity right down to 23% body fat. Why? 
she didn't really expand on it. She was just sort of saying, because I, I that, suppose I mean, at that point... That's quite a broad, bloody statement to put out there. Yeah, about... I think what she was saying was, above that, you're probably looking at insulin resistance. Yeah. Yeah, so once you do a paleo um, model of eating that encourages insulin sensitivity and you take out the carbohydrates and you get hormone sensitive again, mm-hmm. um, then it's a bit about probably supporting things like um, thyroid hormone function, um, the sex hormone... Um, sex hormone production and cortisol and that's the bit that probably goes wrong because people have got so into exercise and cutting carbs that they probably actually need to go into more of a a maintenance mode um so yeah it was just an interesting point yeah but to say the paleo diet doesn't work if you're below x i might have i might have paraphrased that slightly i just remember hearing something like that she said it doesn't feel like it's as effective neither is the hit training so sort of like the route that gets you down to that 23 percent body fat then has to change which we we all know you must evolve yeah as your body changes your hormone profile changes yeah you must evolve the nutrition not that she's saying um you know paleo per se didn't work but i suppose her take on it might be that then you've got to add in more more carbohydrates. She was actually advocating going up to sort of 100 grams, uh, which is, again, something that we, we've sort of taught on our plans and said, you know, just to be able to sustain exercise and levels of stress and support adrenal function, you're going to have to go back up to... If you did drop to sort of 50 grams of carbs for fat loss, you might want to take it up to 100 or 150 mm. to support performance and, and well, How many people, like uh, especially the ladies on our plans at the moment, who we've increased their carb intake, and not only are they performing better in the gym, they're losing body yeah. fat. and your body composition doesn't change you know, you know, it's, necessarily, it's, then it's a good thing. You know, we've got hormone-sensitive. Yeah. And... I mean, we, we, the thing is, we don't have one answer when someone comes to us and they want to lose body fat. You know, but what we do on the plans is we work with people. We we see where they're at. You know, they log their food, they log their macros. We can, we, we you know, they'll feed back to us whether they're getting the results that they want or not, and then we'll work with them to adapt to their macros accordingly. Be it increase their carbs, reduce their carbs, increase fats, reduce fats, etc., to find something that does work for them. So again, it comes back to trial and error, and a lot of people have actually lost this ability to, to to do this so you know so guys to wrap up trial and error always a good thing trial you know, and improvement trial error and imp- adapt and improve there you go i like that i'm gonna, I'm gonna patent <laughs> that. have more date nights have more sex <laughs> eat raspberries <laughs> don't overthink pre-post-workout nutrition get your foundations right but shop at shop at m&s yeah, shop at MS. There you go. <laughs> Tons of nuggets of information there, guys. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, the hour or so went really, really quick. Um, the next podcast is awesome with Paul Watson. Um, you know, there's some crackers in there, so make sure you tune into that as well. As always, guys, please do us a little favor and, and share our podcast with anyone that you know you think would appreciate it. Leave us a review, subscribe, etc., etc., because uh, that helps us a, a hell of a lot. Uh, But yeah, guys, thanks again, and we will see you in episode 44. Bye. Later.